2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 9 today. Um, i got to throw out a disclaimer. Um, maybe you're here today and you're visiting. Praise God. Thank you for coming. You're welcome here. We, we love having you here. Maybe this is your first time here. Um, and I, I say this because I want you to know if you're visiting today or this is your first time, we are committed through going through the Bible. This church, we go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so you just happened to be here when we started 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay? This is not an easy portion of Scripture. Um, this is my third time teaching this passage with this church. And what I've learned over the years, in the last 23 years, that when I teach through 2 Timothy, two things happen. People leave the church and never come back. And people sign up and get involved in ministry. And because what we're about to talk about is not comfortable. And I just want you to know that I didn't plan this. I mean, it wasn't like I saw you coming. And here's what we're going to go through. Um, but as we read verses 1 through 9, it's almost going to be like opening the morning newspaper or turning on the news. And it's talking about the last days. And we are in the last days. It's talking about the very last days before Jesus Christ comes for His church. It's going to be a very difficult message today. I'm going to try to end it on a good note. Um, because we want to go down and have fun at Anini and eat a lot of food, because that's why they call us Calorie Chapel, and have fellowship and do a baptism and stuff. Um, so I guess enough of making excuses. Let's get into it, okay? You guys ready? <laughs> that sounded positive. Are you guys ready? Are, are you thick-skinned? You know, you need to have the heart of a lamb if you're a Christian, but you also need the skin of a rhinoceros. And so um, I, I'm just, I readied you guys for this. So, you know, when you're ready for something, it's easier to take. So, um, yeah. Verse 1, chapter 3. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away." For of this sort are they which creep, they're creeps, they creep into houses and they lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. And Lord, 
we know that this passage isn't easy, but we know that you give us these things because you love us, because you want the best for us. And so, Lord, give us the heart to receive these passages today that we would actually take a good, healthy look at our own walk and grow. Grow closer to you. Grow in the grace and knowledge of you. To turn from sin, Lord God, and to obey you, to love you, and to serve you all of our days. We ask that you'd speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Tough portion of Scripture. You know, like I said, what we just read is almost like turning on the news, isn't it? The craziness that's happening in our world today, it's out of control. Things are out of control, especially even just in the last couple of years. Amen? I mean, they speak evil of good. They speak good of evil. I mean, it's just mind-blowing what we see taking place. And just when you thought it couldn't get crazier, it gets crazier. Just when you thought they couldn't outdo themselves in sin, they outdo themselves in sin. And the good news is, we recognize these things, we recognize what's happening, but we also recognize, if you look in the Bible, everywhere where it talks about the last days, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you will see it describes what we're living in today. So the good news is, Jesus is coming soon. Yeah, amen. And he, he's going to come when you least expect it. And so, like I said, teaching through 2 Timothy will cause people to leave church because they'll get offended. They'll never come back. It'll cause people to step up their game and get involved like God wants us to. And, and, and God wants to use each and every one of you because he loves you. He's got a calling for you, a purpose for you. We just got to be willing. We just got to be available. As we look at the world today, the crazy things that we see in this world today is exactly what God said was going to happen before he came. We're going to see a one-world push for a one-world rule. We're seeing that right now. The World Economic Forum, the WEF, is hoping to have a one-world global rule in seven years. That's their goal. They're meeting with all the leaders of all nations so to make all of those leaders part of this so they're all going to be strong and powerful. The World Health Organization, the WHO, wants to, in the next year, control everyone in the world having one guy decide what vaccinations you have to get and forcing it on you and your kids or they'll take your kids away. One guy is going to make that decision for the whole world. And if you don't comply, they will cut off resources to your country. We're living in the last days. The Bible tells us that Jesus is going to come for his church. He's going to descend from heaven with a shout. We call it the rapture of the church. I think it could happen anytime. It could happen today. I believe that with all my heart. This is a nutty world. When you look at Ezekiel 38, and you see what's going to transpire Maybe years ago you would have thought that was impossible. How could that be? 
we see in Ezekiel 38 where Russia is going to come against Israel. Russia, Iran, Turkey, Ethiopia, and Libya are going to come against Iran. And scholars have been reading that for centuries and saying, you know, it's, it's got to be a spiritual warfare because Israel's got nothing to offer. It's just dirt. Well, of course we know it's a spiritual warfare. But recently, in the last decade, Israel discovered liquid gold. They have so much natural gas under their feet <coughs> that they just discovered, not too long ago, enough to power Europe, to cause Russia to be cut off from giving them their oil, and so that's causing a conflict. And so what we're going to see is Russia, who aren't, they're not doing good financially. I mean, Putin, he's the richest man in the world, but, you know, it's a dictatorship. He wants China to back them to win this fight in Ukraine, which is going to cause a World War III. But we are going to see that resources in Russia are going to start failing. Turkey has already dropped the, their money's worth like less than half of what it was a few years ago. Um, Iran wants nuclear capabilities so they can destroy Israel, but not only destroy Israel, they want to destroy us. And we gave them a bunch of money to help them further their nuclear capabilities. Isn't that crazy? And so... We're going to see Iran, Turkey, Libya, Ethiopia, and Russia come against Israel soon. I think it's soon. The good news is God's going to intervene. And it says he's going to wipe out five-sixths of the army. That's five-sixths. Do you realize that? That's like somewhere around 83, 84, almost 85% of the enemy. He's going to wipe out 85% of the Russian soldiers, 85% of the Turkish soldiers, 85% of the Iranian soldiers, 85% of Libya and Ethiopia, and it's literally going to squash Islam. Thus, paving a way for the Antichrist to rise up with all the answers. So if you stop and you think about it, when the church is taken out, the rapture of the church... It's going to rock the world because I'm guessing there's some 2 billion Christians worldwide. 2 billion people disappear. That's going, to, that's going to affect the world. Not to mention how many Christians will be flying planes, driving cars, working with dangerous equipment right when the rapture takes place and, and how many people will that result in death that weren't believers because we disappeared flying a plane and all of a sudden the pilot's gone. That's a goner. So you picture that rocking the world. You picture Russia and these countries coming against Israel and God wipes out some close to 85% of them. I mean, you've just set the pace for somebody to, to rise up out of Europe with all the answers and we call him the Antichrist. It talks about in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that they will burn the weapons of the enemy, Israel will, for seven years. That kind of indicates what? Seven years? Seven-year tribulation. 
We are so close. We are so close. And I think we've accelerated in the last two years. Perilous Times is the title of this message. And Perilous Men. And it's kind of sad because our theme this month, we have a theme every month. This theme is love, and this is the message I get to share first off. But I got to say, it's important for us to hear these things, even though they're uncomfortable and difficult, because of God's love for you. He wants us to turn away from these things. And, and I want to say this too. The things that we just read, I believe if you're really honest with yourself, truly honest with yourself, and you search your heart, that as I read some of those things there, you were, you were going guilty, 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 guilty. And if some of those things that I read, you said in your heart, I'm guilty of those things, and it bothers you, that's evidence that you're a child of God. If the things that I just read don't bother you, you're not his. You're not his. And what we're going to look at today is that there's a lot of people in this time in life that are acting like Christians, but they're not really Christians. And that's not for me to judge. It's between them and God. But God says we are in a Laodicean era. That means we're in the last days. That means the church is lukewarm. That means in the church worldwide is a lot of posers. They look Christian. They speak Christian. They act like Christian. But as Paul would say, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. How do you identify them? Well, they're sheep that eat other sheep. They look like sheep, they talk like sheep, they act like sheep, but they eat sheep. They're ravenous wolves, extortioners, brutal. Coming to church for, to fleece the flock, to make money, to gain power. Church is big business nowadays. I don't know if you've seen, there's some huge churches in the world, 10, 15, 20,000 people. Big business. And we're living at a time where there's a lot of evil running rampant and people are speaking good of evil and speaking evil of good. And it's time for Christians to make a decision who they're going to serve. They're either going to serve God or they're going to serve themselves. And we're going to be talking about those that are lovers of self. As a Christian, we are to be givers. We give because God gave. We're not takers. We're not people that just look to get whatever we can get from everybody, and we don't give ourselves. We have to be givers. We have to be Christ-like. We have to be lovers of people. We have to be forgiving. We have to pour out. We have to... We, God wants us to serve and be an example of Him. But we live in challenging days where they speak evil of Christians and the Christians are actually under attack. You know, I mean, when I was growing up as a kid, we had the Ten Commandments in our classroom and we had prayer. 
and we had Ten Commandments in our courtrooms, and that all got ripped out. You know why? If you go back and read the transcripts while they took out the Ten Commandments in our courtroom, which is mind-blowing because, you know, the Ten Commandments say stuff like, don't steal, don't lie, don't murder, don't commit adultery. The very things that they're putting people in jail for. And they said, we've got to take the Ten Commandments out. And you say, why? Because they say people might see them and be moved to obey them. Oh, like that's a bad thing. And here in these passages that we're looking at today, God warns us of social and moral characteristics of the world in the last days. And it's not just those outside of the church, but it's for those that are inside the church as well. And so today, as we go through these things, we all need to examine our hearts. I'll tell you what, when, we were going, when I was going through this list all week, you know, uh, lovers of self, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. I mean, going on and on. I was just thinking, gosh, guilty, guilty, guilty. I've got unforgiveness. I've got bitterness. I sometimes I'm unthankful. I'm just like looking at these things going, man. And I'm thinking to myself, if, if, if as a pastor, I feel like that, can we honestly examine our hearts? Do you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? We've got to address these things in our hearts. I don't know what you're going through. I don't want to know what you're going through. But I know that I can read this list and I can check off guilty, 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 guilty. And it grieves me. And the good news is the fact that it does grieve me means I'm a child of God. And if it grieves you, you're a child of God. If it doesn't bother you, you're not his. I'm going to be so bold to say so. You're not his. Verse 1 tells us that now in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's like a no-brainer, huh? Is everybody just into self-love or what? I mean, look at social media. What's the big thing? Selfies. We live in a society that spends literally hundreds of billions of dollars a year to get people to worry about themselves. This is how you should look. This is how you should dress. This is the makeup you should wear. This is how you should cut your hair. This is where you should live. This is the kind of car you should drive. This is how you should look. Get this plastic surgery. Get that. And we're consumed with self. And, you know, and I hear Christians saying, you know, well, you know, when I say, you know, we've got to learn to love others. I mean, what are the two great commandments? Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. So it just boils down the Ten Commandments down to two and, and, and then you can boil that down to one and just love, right? And you hear Christians that say, you know, I'm reading this book because um, the book tells me, and they're Christians, the book tells me, I can't love others until I learn to love myself. Well, I got the, the book that says you already love yourself. 
Because God says, love him with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. God is implying that we already love ourselves tremendously. I ain't much, but I'm all I think about. We, you know, when you hear people say, I hate myself. I just hate myself. No, you don't. If I took a picture of this room right now and posted it up there, who would you look for? Who's the first person you go look at? You. And what would make or break that photo? How good you look? Everybody else could look like, you know, the demon eyes, the red stuff thing going, but you look good. That thing's going in your album. When I hear somebody say, I hate myself, I hate myself. Why do you hate yourself? Because I'm ugly. Well, you don't hate yourself because if you hated yourself, you'd be happy you were ugly. I'll let that sink in a little bit. The Bible implies that we already love ourselves. And so it says that we'll be lovers of self, and then it says covetous. That means lovers of money. There's nothing wrong with having money. Money in the hands of a godly man or woman can be used for God's purposes. Um, the love of money is the root to all evil. When money becomes more important to you than God, and, and listen to me carefully, I'm not trying to beat you up, but listen, because I know a lot of people who say they're Christians don't come to church because they say, I gotta work. I get that. We live on an island full of tourism. Many people have to work on Sundays. I get that, okay? I'm not beating you up. I'm just making something clear. Is what I've dealt with over the years. I hear people say, well, I can't come on Sunday you know, because I work. And they said, if you had something at night, then I would come. And I say, we got Wednesday night. They don't come. You hear people say, I'll come to church. Uh, you know, I got to find the time. You can't find the time. There's only 24 hours in each day. There's no extra time to find. You got to make time. We will make time for whatever we want to do, right? Got that hot date with that new girl you just met? You'll make time. Going on a vacation? You'll get to the airport two hours early. How, how would that be if like everybody showed up like two hours early for church? With your ID and your boarding pass. Right? There are people that put money as more important than God. And then he goes on and he says boasters. Ooh, gosh. This is a tough one for all of us, isn't it? You ever, you ever get in that, like, boasting competition? You ever get around somebody that's a one-upper? You know what I'm talking about? You say something, they got to one-up you. Everything you say, hey, how was your day? Oh, it was great, man. I was over on the west side, and I was, I was sharing the love of God with this guy, and he received Jesus. It was awesome. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I led three people to the Lord today down in Honolulu. Where were you the last two weeks? Oh, I went on this mission trip in the Philippines. We were helping the poor. It was such a blessing. Oh, yeah, yeah, we went to Africa. We were, like, stopping human trafficking. You got those people that you talk to that are always one-upping you. They're boasters. And God says, don't do it. If you're going to boast in anything, boast in the Lord. Amen? And whatever you do, don't take any credit for it. Give glory to God. James 4.16 says, but now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. The next thing he looks at, and this is the one that killed me, it kills you, 
I'm just going to assume that we're all guilty of this pride. We all have pride, don't we? Some of you are better at, like, holding it off. But, man, there comes that time where you just can't take it anymore, you know what I mean? And you blow because of pride. Did you know pride is the origin of sin? Satan wanting to be like God. It was his pride that brought him down. We all tend to be prideful. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Be humble. Be humble, be used of God. Be proud and be put on the shelf. God wants to use you. The next thing, blasphemers. You ever blasphemed the Lord? You ever took his name in vain? You ever blasphemed him just by your actions? God doesn't want that. And here's a big one. This is really popular today. Disobedient to parents. Isn't that crazy today what we see today? The disobedience we see. You know, kids can divorce their parents. How nutty is that? Government now wants to tell our kids what they need to learn. They don't want you involved in your, par- in your kids' learning. And kids are disobedient. I watch kids curse at their parents. I, watch, I, I see kids hit their parents. You know, in the old days, if a kid was disobedient in a Jewish home, they would take them to the gate before the elders and they would put that kid to death. They kept everything in line back then, I tell you. And I'm not saying bring that back, but you know what I'm saying? It kind of is an incentive to do good and respect. There was a lot of respect for elders back then. That we don't have that today. When I look around our country and I see elders suffering, our vets suffering, our homeless suffering, where's our heart? And we can't count on the government to help them. We've, the church has to help them. Because we're the only ones they can count on. After disobedient to parents, there's unthankful and unholy. Wow. You, you go on social media, you'll see so much unholiness. It's mind-blowing. The stuff that goes on. We look at so many people that are unthankful. You know, I'll tell you what, in America, we can be so unthankful. We can never be satisfied with what we got, and we are considered the wealthiest people in the world. I'll tell you what, if you don't think you got much, and you're complaining about where you live and the car that you drive, and you don't have that much food or whatever, you're still eating, you still got money, you are doing better than probably 85% of the world. If you don't think you got a lot, come on a missions trip with us. We will close your mouth. I know families that live in huts the size of your bathrooms, disgusting living conditions, and a family of six will share one cup of rice at night. And then we're all like worried, like, tacos again? Unthankful, unholy. Verse 3 without natural affection. It means unloving. We're living in a time period today where it's actually referring to families. It's referring to marriages. It's referring to uh, those who are uh, parents and have kids. 
to where there's supposed to be this natural affection a parent has towards its child, a parent has, or a spouse has towards their spouse. And we're living in a society where uh, people can be married, but all they, all they care about is themselves and not their spouse. We're, we're in a society now where parents don't care about their kids. And kids don't care about their parents. Unloving. Unloving. And it's sad. We took a young boy into our house, my wife and me, years ago because his mom was a drug addict and all she was interested in was doing crack and meth and being with her boyfriend and she didn't care anything about her kid. So we brought him in so he'd have a home. Raised him up in the ways of the Lord. Then he talks about truce breakers. And truce breaker is the word for unforgiving. And it's, 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 related. it's a Greek word that's relating to basically marriage. To uh, those who um, break their marriage vows because they found somebody new. They're truce breakers, unloving, unforgiving. In other words, <coughs> when two people who are married can't get along, they'd rather get a divorce than work it out. Now, God only allows divorce in a Christian couple if there's infidelity, there's adultery. And even with that, I, I believe with all my heart, and read Hosea, I think you will believe it too, that God wants you to work that thing out, even though there's infidelity. But he knows how hard it is for some to be betrayed and that he allows it for adultery. But there's, there's Christian, you know, you know, Christian divorces are just as heavy and up as unbelievers' divorces. To where people don't have any grounds for divorce, there was no infidelity, there was no adultery, but they're just like, I'm just tired of my spouse, I don't love them anymore, we don't get along. <laughs> Well, let me tell you something. You're going to walk away from that relationship and you're going to get right into another relationship and you're going to hit that wall again. <clears throat> what defines us is that we work through it. And that shows your children that we work things out at all costs. It shows that we're going to have problems, but we're going to deal with it in a godly way and it's going to work out and God's going to get the glory. But there's people, and over my 23 years of pastoring, or what, 22 years, I've had people come to me saying, you know, well, God wants me to be happy, and I found this person that makes me happy, and I just love them. They just so understand me. I'm like, that's not love. That's lust. You are married. You are committed to this marriage. Just because you don't get along with your spouse anymore, and you say you found somebody that makes you happy, that is temporal. That's that, like, early dating thing. Well, I read in the Bible that God wants me to have life and more abundant, and they just give me such abundant life. You're in sin. Truce breakers. Unforgiving. And some of you are here today, and you've been victims of that, and God loves you. I just want to encourage you. God's got a plan for you. Then he says false accusers or slanderers. You ever slandered anybody? He talks about incontinent. That's King James. It means without self-control. In other words, without sexual restraints. 
It's people that are so-called Christians in the church that are just trying to find how many people they can sleep with in the church. They are constantly on the move, networking through the church to pick up Christian women. It's mostly guys that do it, but there are some women in today's society that do it too. And it's all about feeding their sexual appetite in the name of Jesus. They act like Christians and they take advantage of women. He talks about men that will be fierce, brutal, savage. Isn't that the news today? I mean, I look on the news and I see on the news guys going out of the way to punch and hurt an elderly walking down the street or in a store just because they think it's funny. And to punch an 80-year-old in the face and basically cripple them. And that one lady that got beat up by somebody just for fun in the subway and lost her eyesight in one eye. People being thrown in front of subway trains as they go by as a joke. And our, our country does nothing about it. We, we, oh, they get arrested, but no bail, and they let them out. It's a crazy world. It's actually better for a criminal. They have more rights than the victims. Savage people, and I'll tell you what. You know what? I'm convinced, and I know I'm getting a little political right now, and some of you might not like it, but so what? Our borders, I believe, are open because there's an extreme demand for human trafficking. It's a multi, multi-billion dollar industry, and I hate it. And I got to tell you, I'm sickened by it. And when Pastor Wes Bentley was here from Africa, and he was showing us, remember he was showing us what they were doing in Central America, and he was showing us little kids that they rescued, two, three, five years old, who had been sexually molested by people. I'll tell you what, you better pray for me, because I would have no problem killing somebody. I love your kids. I am, you have no idea how protective I am of your kids. If I, see, if I was to even catch somebody sexually abusing your kid, I would take their life. I'm just being real. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I cannot stand that. God says, woe unto them that offend the little children. Better that a millstone be hung around their neck and tossed into the sea than what God's going to do with them. We need to start standing up for truth. We need to start standing up for what's right. We need to bring light to darkness. Jesus is coming soon. Where is he going to find you? Serving him or serving yourself? And then he goes talks about those that are despisers of good. Aren't we the problem in America nowadays? Because we bring the light. All those Christians, they're the problem. And he says there's betrayers. Anybody in here been betrayed? Anybody have a Judas in their life? He talks about heady and headstrong. That's stubbornness. You know, the Bible tells us that rebellion is as witchcraft and, and idol, stubbornness is as idolatry. I checked that one off my box on my box too. I'm stubborn. Are you stubborn? Anybody? Just me? Okay, we got a couple. There we go. Oh, the hands are going up. Give me five, ten, ten. I got 20, I got 25, 30, 35, 40. 
it is not a gift. He says, high-minded, haughty. Man. Here's the killer. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. God wants us to enjoy the fruit of our labors. Don't, I'm not saying anything against pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. But when pleasure becomes more important than God, you've got a problem. The word there is a, is a word for entertainment. Lovers of entertainment more than lovers of God. They love being entertained. Their entertainment and pleasing themselves is more important than serving God or pleasing God. That's a scary place to be because we all got to wrestle with this, right? Because we all have a tendency to, you know, say, what about me? What about my needs? What about what I want? We are called to be other-centered and not self-centered, but when we're self-centered, it's all about me and pleasing myself. And so we see in the world today, multi-billion dollar industry on focused on loving yourself and pleasing yourself. The entertainment industry spends so much money to entertain us. And there are people that are seeking pleasure more than anything else. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. We're to enjoy the fruits of our labors. But you know, when, when you hear people that are doing this and doing that, and they say they're a Christian and they have no interest in serving God, you've got to ask yourself, where's their heart? Over the years, I've had parents that just disappeared. And then they come back. I said, where have you been? They said, oh, we had soccer. Soccer for six months, and you know, and the, you know, you, you got to go all over the island on Sundays and everything. Like, can I just say something to you? If you, as a parent, have a kid that's like an all-star at soccer, football, basketball, whatever, uh, you go to his coach and you say, "We will not play on Sundays." I guarantee they'll stop playing games on Sundays. As for me and I house, we will serve the Lord. We will go to church because what you're teaching your kid. Listen to me carefully. I'm saying this with love. What you're teaching your kid is that entertainment and fun is more important than church. And you're only starting the nightmare that's going to happen to you with your kid as they grow up because they saw you compromise and church was like, hey, when, when, when there's no soccer or football or the waves are flat, we'll go to church as if that's a bummer. Like there's nothing else to do. We'll go talk to God. I love you guys. I didn't say this would be easy, but we need, to, we need to really attack this in our lives, full speed ahead. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then in verse 5 he says, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. We are to turn away from people who act like Christians but their life doesn't show it. That is the toughest thing for us to do, right? We live on Kauai. You know about everybody. You know everybody's business. You know about people you don't even know, you've never even talked to. And you know you're going to bump into them. That's tough. So here's what we do. When we know a brother or sister has fallen, we go like Jesus comes to us in love and say, listen, I know what you're going through. I heard it through the grapevine. I just came to see if it was really true. If it is, I'm here to help. I love you. And I know that I, that could be me. Coming with the right heart, not finger pointing you, you, not that, but love and encouragement, coming side by side because that could be you one day that they come alongside you. 
They're having a form of godliness, but but denying the power from such people turn away. You know, this is a crazy verse because all the things we read in verses 1 through 4 are describing those who look good, but they're actually denying the power of the Holy Spirit in their life to transform their life. You know, Jesus said in the last days there'll be those that are standing before him and they'll they'll say, you know, I'm yours, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And they're like, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. I, I went to Calvary Chapel. I, I, I did a missions trip. He's like, I don't know you. You played Christian, but your heart wasn't really there. And from such, turn away. In verse 6, he says, for of this sort are those who creep, so they're creeps, They creep into house and they hold and make captive gullible women or silly women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. What was happening in those days is still happening today where where men with doctrines and degrees and false doctrines and, and terrible practices will come and go after someone's wife and try to persuade them in a wrong direction and they do it knowing the husband's not going to be there. Back in Paul's day, when the husband would go to work, these guys would show up at the doors and try to lead the, the wives astray with false doctrine and, and phony miracle stuff. And, it, and, you know, it says they're gullible and silly women. Don't, don't, don't take offense, ladies, because there's plenty of just gullible, silly, stupid men. Okay? What, what he's saying there, and I, I want to say this, and I hope you understand what I'm, I'm trying to say here is that women tend to be more spiritual than men. And that was a man that just said amen. (laughs) Women are more sensitive to the Holy Spirit in many ways than a man. And that came from my wife. If I talked to a bunch of men that went to a conference, I said, how's the conference? Oh, man, it was awesome. Hey, we ate at Ruth Chris. We hit the water park, and whoo, you know, we went to that movie because we don't have theaters over here. If I talked to women, how was the conference? They said, oh, it was such amazing. We all got together, a bunch of women. We started praying, and we all just started weeping and tearing, laying hands on you. Oh, God says that women are a weaker vessel. Not a lesser, but a weaker. That's why in the garden, Satan went after Eve, not Adam. Eve was deceived. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. And so just like these false teachers, they creep in. They they come when the husband's not around to lead women captive. Oh, Oh, we see it. They ride up to your door on a bike. They got a suit on. They're ready to go. They're trained to argue with Christians. Deceiving and frauding people. Just defrauding people. You you see them on the, the Christian stations trying to sell you snake oils, you know, these all-cure oils. So buy my oil mixed with the, the ingredients from the Bible, and I mixed it with my hand, and I prayed over it, and I did this, and I'm going to give it to you. I, 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 I. It's all about them. But if you buy this bottle for $40, it'll heal whoever you lay this oil on, you know, and you got these guys selling like spiritual handkerchiefs that are healing handkerchiefs. You got them selling miracle wallets. You got selling, you know, buy the, our stuff. 
listen, God's the one that heals. We just need to lay hands on each other and pray when we're sick. But they take advantage of people. In verse 7, he says this, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. That is one of the most scariest verses. Maybe it's not hitting you, but it hit me hard this week. You got people that are out there investigating everything and they're searching everything and they're, they're, you know, they're finding out all this stuff on the news and what's going on worldwide and they're always learning but never coming to the knowledge of truth. You can get so caught up in this world. We're supposed to keep an eye on what's going on, but you can get so caught up in this world, the next thing is taking, away, taking you away from your Bible. It's taken away from the truth. And if you don't know the truth, how's the truth going to set you free? If you don't know the truth, you're going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine because somebody came along and said something to you with authority that had nothing to do with God, and you bought it hook, line, and sinker because you didn't know the truth. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Their carnality and immaturity rendered them as easy targets for false teachers. And out of a so-called openness to learn, they embrace whatever new heresy comes along. And the problem was that they could not recognize the truth when they saw it because they bought into so much of the lie. Let's do our last two verses. Verse 8 and 9. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so so do these who resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as there also was. Uh, he mentions Janus and Jambres. That was uh, the two magicians that came up against Moses and Aaron in the book of Exodus when God said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And uh, Moses was reluctant because he says, I don't speak very well. And then God says, I'll speak to you, Moses. You tell Aaron. Aaron will talk to him. And so they go before him. And Aaron, it's actually Aaron that threw down Moses' rod. Remember that? And it turned into a serpent. And then the Pharaoh looks at his magicians. They threw down their rods. And then those turned into serpents. But Moses' rod swallowed up their serpents, showing that God is more powerful. So then Moses hit the Nile River and it turned into blood. And then the magicians were able to turn small batches of water into blood. And, and then they, uh, he brought the plague of the frogs and they were able to bring some flo- frogs. But then he hit the ground, the dust of the earth, and the dust of the earth became lice and lice was on every man. I don't know if you ever had ukus. But let's just put like ukus on steroids. And everybody, man and beast, had them. And the magicians couldn't reproduce this, and they came to Pharaoh, and they said, this is the finger of God. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that you're going to have these deceivers who can deceive for a while, but it will be revealed in time. And the more that evil prevails in our world today, the more you as Christians are going to stand out. Are you ready for that? You are just going to, you might as well go to Target and get one of their t-shirts. I'm serious. We are going to stand out and you're either going to stand for something or you're going to fall for anything. We live in crazy times. You know, it's easier to die for Jesus than it is to live for Jesus. And right now the Holy Spirit 
is restraining evil. Did you know that? You're like, if he's restraining evil, he's not doing a very good job. If he's restraining war, he ain't doing a very good job. He's doing a lousy job. If he's restraining abortion, he's doing a lousy job. If he's restraining human trafficking, he's doing a lousy job. What the Holy Spirit is restraining now will make the post-rapture world stranger than anything you could ever imagine. There's going to come a point where Jesus is going to call us out of this world and the Holy Spirit who's restraining is going to do this. And that's going to be a messed up world. And I don't want to leave us on a bad note today. <laughs> I, I want to encourage you, listen, listen guys, Jesus loves you. He loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He so loved the world, but the world can't be saved by his love. You've got to respond to it. You got to take the gift. He died on the cross for your sins. He paid the penalty for your sins. He's offering you salvation, everlasting life. He puts the gift in front of you. He says, Open the box. He's not going to force you. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force his love. You've got to receive what he's giving to you today and say, I want you in my life, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross. Save me. It's that simple. And maybe you've been wrestling with that. Maybe you've been coming here for a while. Maybe this is your first time here and you're just getting it. I don't want you to leave today without receiving Jesus Christ. God loves you. We are in the last days. Craziness is prevailing all over the world. And he says, when we see that, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Jesus is going to descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trump, the dead in Christ shall rise first. We that are alive and remain will be caught up in the crowds, transformed, and we will be with him forevermore. Yeah. He, will, he will judge a Christ-rejecting world and set up his kingdom, and we will rule and reign with him, and he will show us how this world was supposed to be. And he loves you so much. He can't take his eyes off you. Isn't that awesome? And he loves you so much. As his children, no matter how many times I screwed up, he doesn't give up on me. <sighs> Philippians 1.6, be confident in this very thing that he that begun the good work in you will complete it. Oh, man. Yeah. Amen. So if the worship team would come forward